0: Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today covering the news to know for the week of March 2nd, I've got about seven stories on tap. We'll see what we can get through. And let's go. First one is out of Becker's Hospital Review by Laura Dryad. This is six health systems that blamed Epic and Cerner EHR installs for losing millions. And I won't read all six. I'll pick out a few of them here. Uh, University of Vermont Network Health Network said its 151.7 million Epic EHR implementation was partially responsible for its $10 million operating loss in the first quarter of 2020. The implementation cost more than initially expected and physician productivity decreased as the physicians adjusted to the new system. And let's see in March 2018. This one was Ector County Health District blamed its Cerner EHR implementation in part for financial losses and a bond downgrade by Fitch ratings. It also received and insurer default rating the year before the hospital had reported an operating loss of 77 billion the system CFO reported that there were issues with the 55 million Cerner implementation that led to challenges with its account receivables so I'm not going to read you all six I think you get the general idea here these health systems are describing some pretty big numbers pretty big losses and it's not terribly surprising. Those of you who have done EMR implementations, no, you're going to take your frontline staff offline, put them in a classroom, and someone else has to be covering the hospital while that's happening. So obviously, you're doing this in in rotations and different shifts, but you, nonetheless, you have to pay someone else overtime, or bring in a resource nurse, or find some other physicians that are going to cover in order to cover the patient care activities that still have to go on while you're taking people into the classroom for training. And that's the big number. There's also probably equipment upgrades. If you're going from a paper system to an EMR sure, you're going to have to upgrade computers and monitors, but when you're switching from one EMR to the other, that's probably less of the issue. There's the EMR licensing costs, but the truth is the biggest costs are the training costs. And I'll throw into that. If you need to hire more trainers, you're going to need more people for at the elbow support than your own company is going to be able to have on hand. So you're almost always hiring a bunch of trainers to come in and support the go live. Most organizations aren't running that fat with all these extra analysts and trainers or medical students or whatever it is that you're going to use. You are going to have to supplement that. So that's where the big costs are. While on the topic of large EHR implementations, let's talk about the VA. They have moved their March 28 Cerner launch to a July 2020 goal and this is for they've got a VA system out in uh, Spokane, Washington. That's gonna be the first one I think to launch here. And the new target rollout date was reported to Congress by uh va secretary robert wilkie and dr richard stone acting head of the veterans health administration this is healthcare it news i'm reading this from uh, nathan Eddy, february 28th wilkie stated that during the proceedings certain programs including prescription applications were not yet ready to launch and also that training was pushed back because he felt it didn't make sense to train employees on an incomplete system it also said somewhere in here that there was uh, integration problems uh, challenges with the interface with the old EHR and I'm not surprised to hear that so my two cents on this yeah EHR implementations are hard this one's gonna be in the spotlight just because the government's gonna be watching it closely to make sure they get the value out of this and they're expecting Cerner to deliver it's gonna put them in a really uh, uncomfortable spot being watched as closely but Probably, you know this isn't their first EMR implementation. It should go right. I'm optimistic that they'll figure out the prescription part there. that's and the training part they're going to have done. Interface pieces make me nervous because that's not easy. And yes, they've got to get the interface to their EHR, but I'm sure they're also looking at interfaces to the lab systems or interfaces to PACs, which they probably have done already. Interfaces to their EKG machines and echo machines and other point-of-care testing devices There's a ton of stuff to interface and those are the kinds of things that they don't make headlines But I bet you they're out there for uh, go live to happen I'm gonna switch topics a little bit here. I'm jumping back to becker's Andrea Park Friday, February 28th. It's how Kaiser Permanente and two more hospitals are spending innovation investment dollars So, first is Kaiser's venture arm joined a $45 Series B funding round for IntelliCare, a developer of data and artificial intelligence driven nurse staffing software. This one happens to be for post-acute providers. The other one is the innovation funding arm of OSF Healthcare and Des Moines, Iowa-based Unity Point Health. They both invested in CareSignal, a remote patient monitoring platform. And these are already in use by both health systems so why do I think this is news and important follow the money if you see big-name institutions putting in millions and millions of dollars it's a pretty good bet that there's something there that's worth investing in so artificial intelligence around staffing I don't know exactly what it's doing but I could picture that it might be able to anticipate and figure out where are we gonna run short next week based upon the number of surgeries we have planned or the amount of clinic visits we have. And this is a post-acute setting, so maybe they would understand. Uh, we can anticipate this many admissions because we're gonna do the X number of knee replacements or what have you. So those kinds of uh, operational efficiencies that can come from artificial intelligence, yes. Those are things the CMIOs we should be looking at. That's... the kind of tool which we can help bring to the operational leaders, let them know about, and I think they'd be pretty excited that these things exist. The remote patient monitoring. I'm hoping someone's got better mousetraps out there than what I've seen so far. I'm guessing since there are millions and millions of dollars being invested in these things, someone has figured out how to get good patient data, not just a blood pressure, a pulse ox reading and figure out how we can manage patients better in their home. I haven't seen it, just nothing blow my socks off yet but I'm looking forward to it next Mount Sinai artificial intelligence reads physician notes to determine patient pain levels this one's also out of Becker's Andrea Park February 28th I'm just gonna pick out one or two sentences out of this here. So the AI was trained on more than 17,000 clinical notes regarding 16,700 patients back pain. The AI was able to read physician's notes and determine whether the pain was acute or chronic, which could potentially lead to improvements in coding, billing, and treatment for lower back pain. They also went on to talk about here how most of the time for research, we're using billing codes and billing codes are garbage. And what an opportunity to use AI to actually figure out what's going on with the patient by having the AI read the note. I love it. I can see lots of uses for this, not just for getting more accurate billing codes, but and actually understanding who has, let's say, chronic back pain that's not responding and might benefit from pain management evaluation or you can detect patterns that might alert you to opioid problems. I think this kind of information, getting more detailed and accurate information from the clinician's notes is essential. We have to get away from just using ICD-10 diagnoses that are put in by providers who could care less what those diagnoses are. So my two cents as a CMIO, be looking out for artificial intelligence tools that can help read your notes. We need them. So let's talk about coronavirus. In case you've been living under a rock, there's this virus that has come from China. It is now epidemic, and we have cases in California now spreading beyond that. I did read there was a worker and a resident of a post-acute facility, I think it was a nursing home facility, that was infected over the weekend. And that's telling me that this is probably spreading pretty wide. We probably don't know how much it's already spread. And that's because so many patients are asymptomatic with it. And then you read about roughly the 1% to 2% that die from this. And there's really no effective treatments that I've heard about. And there's no vaccine immediately available. So what can healthcare IT do about this? I think that's tough. I think when we put in questionnaires for our nurses to ask patients as they arrive at the front desk in registration areas hey are you having a fever a cough an upper respiratory symptom that so many patients are going to say yes either related to flu or some cold virus or some chronic condition that they have and the number of true cases of coronavirus right now is probably low that we are going to end up isolating a ton of people And then having to test them so I think this is going to be a real challenge for us and I I don't have any brilliant answers I did hear of a hospital that had to put out a notice to its employees saying hey stop stealing the masks the respiratory masks and I'm sure this is not the only hospital in the country that's had to do this do people realize that these respirator masks after about 30 minutes of wearing them, the moisture kind of deteriorates the fabric to some degree and it's no longer giving you the same levels of protection. So stop stealing the masks. You know who needs those masks? The nurses and doctors in the emergency department. They need them. So leave them for them. That's my two cents. All right. Next article. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the virus here because Hims is coming up. It's next week. I'm supposed to go. I've got a talk that I'm doing. It's going to be a lot of fun but some people are already withdrawing. So Cisco withdrew from the HIMS 20 conference due to the coronavirus concerns. And I got that out of HIS talk and yeah, I guess you take 40,000 people and put them together. There's a chance that there's going to be some transmission of viruses. So I'm still going. I might not shake anyone's hand. I don't know, but I'm going and, uh, I'm gonna have a good time. And there may be a lot less people in the exhibit hall. So maybe I'll be able to walk around for once. Next, let's talk about Nuance. Nuance launches its new ambient clinical intelligence technology, Healthcare IT News, Mike Milliard, February 25th. So for a few years now, we've been seeing a demo where a doctor and a patient are talking and there's kind of like the sound bar in the background and a flat screen TV on the wall. And as the patient and doctor are talking, you can see different color text appearing as the artificial intelligence is detecting who's speaking, attributing it to the right person, and then developing the note when something clinically relevant is discussed. And if I remember correctly, it was a very simple, maybe it was an upper respiratory or ear infection visit. And there's a video that's been out there for a while of this technology, but this called DAX, D A X, Dragon Ambient Experience, and it runs on Microsoft Azure as a cloud platform. And there are centers that are already live with this. It's in beta or probably leaving beta now. So, Navant's got it and Rush Medical Center, uh, Novance in North Carolina. Also, SSM Health, among others. At Nebraska Medicine, staff has reported more efficient patient throughput, according to Nuance, and provider satisfaction scores for clinical documentation are up 88%. That's pretty big deal. I'm excited to see this. I, I'm sure it'll be at him, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I know there's others out there. I know Epic's got their version of this where, again, you're just talking to the patient normally, and then you could ask the EHR, show me the last whatever, and it should pop it up on the screen for you. Sounds like this nuanced product does that as well. All designed to improve the relationship of the provider with the electronic health record. And that's mostly done by not having the provider type. I think that's really cool. I'm still skeptical. I still haven't seen it. I can't wait to in terms of what happens when the flow of the conversation is a little out of sync. So we don't always talk about in-order diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol. We'll throw in some personal things that are going on or the depression gets woven in between. And the flow of a visit isn't always easy. It probably is for my orthopedic colleagues. No offense to my orthopedic colleagues. Love you to death. But when you're talking about someone's knee injury, it's probably pretty straightforward. It relates to the knee. And you probably aren't getting into all kinds of other topics. So... I can see it working for specialties i'm wondering how well it's going to do in the primary care arena but i'm excited to see it so next i want to just discuss a blog post i saw from health catalyst Uh, again i have no financial or commercial uh, interest with health catalyst but their vice president of senior vice president of professional services david grauer wrote a good article about the three must haves for a successful healthcare data strategy and i thought since that's not something we all do very well it was worth touching on let me read you a few points here the guiding principles for a data first healthcare improvement strategy number 1 is that you have to know the best practices you have to have your benchmark you need to know what should it look like for whatever it is that you're trying to fix Number two is you have to have your own analytics. You have to understand what's going on in your own organization so you can compare it to the benchmark. And the old saying is if you don't measure it, it doesn't improve or what gets measured gets uh, improved. Yeah. So, yeah, we got to We got to be measuring that. And then we actually have to have the improvement, the adoption. How we do we change the change management strategy? And that's something that CMIOs that we know intimately. And then finally, you're going to be measuring the outcomes and then seeing whether or not you got where you want to go, wash, rinse, repeat. And they talk about a couple of key features that organizations that are able to do that really well, what they have. And number one is the governance structure around analytics, because there are decisions that have to be made. Are you talking about the same data when you're making an operational change? Have you prioritized which of these things you're going to do? Because you're going to have more projects then you're going to have analytic resources. And if you dilute them down too much, you will get a lot of small pilots, but no real improvements. Number two that to talk about is aligned incentives. And what they're talking about here is that having a commitment and operational focus to stay on task, pick the things that are important to the organization and drive on those. Because there's going to be a ton of distractions, a ton of pet projects out there, You want to explore, you want people to be using the data, exploring, and maybe finding things that do align for future initiatives. But in terms of your hardcore analytic firepower, your top, your brightest people, you really want them to be able to focus on the big products. And you want other people to be self-servicing with their analytic tools. And so part three of what they describe as being needed is the tools for looking at your data and i was starting to think that maybe this is getting to the point where it's a commodity that most systems now have the tools to bring data together and then put a data visualization tool on top of it and the more i got into this the answer is no it's not there's actually some tools that do this better than others because i was trying to do this in epic and their data aggregation tools are not as good as some others and the data visualization tools i haven't been as impressed with I'd much rather use something like a Tableau or Click or, well, there's Microsoft BI. There's tons of them out there that can do a better job than your native EMR tools. So, yes, I think having the right tools makes a big difference. So governance, having the incentives aligned so everyone's moving in the same direction and then having the tools to get the job done. So how many of you out there have that analytic process nailed down? Most of us don't. I still see... A lot of struggling in this space. And not all of it reports to the CMIO, so it's hard to fix some things that you can only marginally influence. But if you do have the analytics team reporting under you, you certainly can help drive this process and share with others how you've been successful. All right, let's wrap it up there. I hope you have a good week. Stay away from people who are coughing and hopefully I'll see you at Hymns. I'll be there starting on Sunday. Looking forward to it. So That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Mm-hmm.